If you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. Welcome to Mindshack True Crime. This is the Stephen Avery series part 13. And we will be finally going over the RAV4. Was it even Teresa Hallback's RAV4? If it was, was it planted on Stephen Avery's property? Or is Stephen Avery a split personality mastermind genius sabotaging his own self by planting the vehicle on his own property, even though it wasn't there before, right next to a car crusher and just covering it with a couple of leaves and branches so it would easily be found? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I am your host, Bruce McGuire. Maxwell Powers. And Johnny Mills. And if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. If you like the video, hit the like button. Feel free to share the podcast across social media platforms. Make sure to like our Facebook page. You can also check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. And a shout out to Joseph, our patron, who actually doubled his contribution for our Kenny Veach series, which he requested. And of course, if you are a patron, you can actually request cases or topics for us to cover either on Mindshock True Crime or on our regular Mindshock Paranormal Conspiracy Anything and Everything Goes podcast. So thanks, Joseph. And we will be continuing with our Kenny Veach series as well. Fascinating, bizarre, missing person disappearance. One of the most bizarre in history. If you haven't checked those podcasts out, check them out on the channel. All right. So we are finally getting into the RAV4. Now, this has been on the agenda for a while because there's, like everything in this case, there's so many discrepancies. So, Johnny, do you think that was Teresa's RAV4 or no? That's what I've been told. <laughs> by the by Manitowoc, which has never lied or misconstrued anything in the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maxwell, what do you think? Well, uh, well, I, I really don't know. I have no idea. Oh, that should be Maxwell's new mug. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say if you can't, like, actually see it. It's just photos, like, especially with the different lighting and all that crap. It makes it look different, but, like, how do you know for sure? It's like... Kind of hard to say. Yeah, it's tough. But the questions that really need to be answered are, when was it on the Avery Salvage Yard property? Like when it, did it get there? Yeah, when did it get there? Was it planted or if it even left there? Because obviously there's witnesses that saw it leaving. There's witnesses. Also, we're going to talk about witnesses that haven't even been mentioned yet on this podcast. But, but uh, we have to answer those questions. Was it planted? And was it even Teresa Hallback's RAV4? And if it was, was the RAV4 at the state crime lab the same one? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. these, these are all questions that need to be answered for the logically thinking and sound-minded. Because if it was planted, and that can be proven that it was planted, even if it was hers, what does that say about the whole case? Huh. So let's go over the official story. So Pam Sturm, led by God, discovered the vehicle in 20 minutes in a 4,000-car lot going in a straight line towards this. Does this towards it. Does this ring a bell, Maxwell? <laughs> straight, straight line, beeline, huh? Yeah. 4,000 car, 4, car lot. If you look at the satellite photo, you can see how gigantic that car lot is. And they just happened to know where it was. See, aren't they looking for Teresa Hallback? Why are they so obsessed with the vehicle? Like, there's a missing person here. 
That's weird. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So it's by the car crusher, covered by a couple of branches. <laughs> <laughs> they must have, they must have fell over on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that must be it. All right, so let's go over the timeline of the RAV4. So on November 5th, 2005, Stephen Allen Avery refers to the RAV4 as green. So does Brendan Dassey, at least in his er earlier interviews, because his story seems to change as the coercion progresses. But he actually says the RAV4 was green and in good shape. So in the VASO report, C-A-S-O report, on November 3rd, Lemieux says, we see the RAV is also listed as being dark green. So if this information was provided by Teresa's friends or family, that would be where it came from for, the, for this report, which was November 3rd. So in episode two of Making a Murderer, have you seen that yet, Maxwell? Uh, which one? <laughs> Making a Murderer? Oh, yeah, I saw it both seasons. Oh, man, Maxwell's on the ball for this one. Johnny, can you believe it? <laughs> I sure can't. <laughs> Just kidding. Just All right. kidding. <laughs> so, so well, not, not that I remember most of it, but, you know. Yeah, I can't remember too much. <laughs> well, how did you remember that you actually saw it, Maxwell? That's what surprises me. I, I would uh, cause think... Because I, I, I remember saying to myself, wow, I finished two seasons. Yeah, but how did you remember even that? <laughs> I don't know, because I just remember that part. <laughs> okay, so in episode two, they describe the car as dark green, quote, just like you see here, end quote. So these are all dark green mentions. On November 3rd, 2005, Teresa is reported as missing. So Teresa's family and friends prepared the missing person's poster, and the RAV4 is listed as being dark green on the poster. Can I chime in real quick? Yeah. Uh, so Karen, Hall, uh, Karen Hallbach, that's Teresa Hallbach's mom, when she did the initial police report, when she called in, she said it's a, a RAV4 Toyota dark green color, kind of. Yes, so everybody's agreeing that it's dark green. Yes. So the Wisconsin Department of Transportation also listed as major color of Teresa's RAV4 as green. And there are records from the Wisconsin Department of Transportation. So there is no disagreement by anybody involved. That's a good point on Karen Holbeck. I did not even know that she specifically stated that. But, okay, everybody agrees that it's green or dark green. Okay, so now here's the kicker. Are you ready for a mind shot, Maxwell? Yep. So Pam Stern is confused. Even though she was led by God, apparently Ooh. the color is still ambiguous. So she calls Pagel, her cousin, and Weiger, and she tells them that this car is more blue than green. <laughs> so what does that mean? So Pam Stern was expecting to find a green RAV4, but instead she finds a bluish RAV4. <laughs> hmm. She also tells Beauty. In testimony, that she had a picture of Teresa's RAV4 while she was searching the salvage yard, and the picture was green. So when she finds the RAV4 led by God, so she finds it, and it's bluish. So she asks Weigert over the phone, what color is Teresa's car? He responds, it was green. 
So from Weikert's affidavit, Judge Fox signed a warrant, and this was based on Pam's discovery. So the very first mention of the RAV4 in the jury trial, Kratz says, quote, you will hear from various kinds of citizens like Bobby Dassey. Bobby Dassey saw this young girl, later identified as Teresa Hallback, get out of her teal or blue or green colored SUV and actually takes picture of the van that her mom had for sale. So everybody's ch- so Kratz has now changed. He now offers three options since nobody knows what color the RAV4 is. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't add or red or orange <laughs> or black or pink. white. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? It was definitely pink. Oh yeah, hot pink or neon neon pink. So <laughs> the actual it's weird. So the warrant that was signed was based on Pam's discovery, and this is in Weikard's affidavit. She's saying it's bluish. And she's confused. What does this tell us? Why is this weird? Is there any other missing persons case where they locate a car and it's not really the right color? Is this a plant job that got botched? Max, what do you think? Well, when when these photographs were taken, were they taken at night? Because sometimes, like, when you're... If you take a photo at night and you have some kind of weird color on your flash, or, like, you're... There's, there's like, a... Like, a, a lamp light or, like, a... Like no, forget Maxwell. Light. Maxwell, forget about what? the photos. Everybody described the car color as green, so that's her mom, yeah. her friends, and Pam Stern sees it in person. So let's let's forget about tr- trick photography and lighting. We're okay, talking okay. about people viewing the vehicle in person, right in front of them. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. Did they did they see did they see the blue Rav Four like at night? Because that could, like, the yellow light and the street light could affect the color. Wait, that is, wait, what are you talking about? I don't know, because sometimes, like, I have, like, uh, I have this, like, weird uh, flashlight thing. And sometimes, like, I would come across something that's, that's colored green and it would come out as something else, like, red. Or, I don't know, it's just, it's just weird. I guess you say, like, different lighting, uh, like, different lighting. Like, uh, if it's morning versus afternoon versus nighttime, I guess the color could be different. Depending on how you're looking at it, not by a photo. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like later on in the afternoon, the the sun. I don't know. It's just, it's just. Or even different. like overcast skies or like cloudiness or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's gonna change it that much. Um, I mean, we're not talking about a slight different shape. I mean, we're just trying like, to figure on, out how they're getting to that point. Yeah, but though, hold how on a second. Two different so, like, colors. No, I mean, I understand. I, I, I see the possibility that it could be like, you know, it's, it's could, you know, I mean, people say it's green and then it's like purple or some shit or blue. <laughs> I don't know, but the green and blue and like red that kind of like goes into that. Yeah. So the the color. Hold on, hold on. So Pam Stern officially found the Rav Four at ten thirty a.m. Saturday, November 5th. We're not talking about twilight hours here. We're talking about late morning, decent lighting. So what I was going to say before is, let's say the car is blue. So depending on when you see it, you might think it's dark blue or light blue or medium blue. You're not going to go from blue to green or from green to blue based on lighting unless there's really weird lighting situations, which we we don't have the weird lighting situations here. 
Do we know if Pam Stern saw the car before she saw it on the lot? Like, has she seen the no, car before? It seems like no, because she's asking on the phone what color is Teresa's car, so she's never seen it. So wait, um, everybody agreed it was dark green. Was she the only one that said it was blue? Or did other people say it was kind of blue, too? Okay, well, we'll get to that in one second. Because <laughs> I was like, maybe like people are colorblind or like there's some weird issue right, with their eyes or something. That's a good point. Okay, okay. That's a good point. Let's I'm actually, I'm actually colorblind to certain colors. Huh. You're also so a little you... bit memory blind. <laughs> that too. <laughs> memory All right. blind. <laughs> All right, let's get to what other people are saying. Okay. So Kratz is saying it's either teal, blue, or green. Like you would think Teresa's parents, Teresa's friends would all know the real color. They're all saying green or dark green. Dark green has no blue. Like medium, medium greenish. I mean, dark forest green. That, that, there's no confusion there. I don't, it's not like, see, if they all said a weird teal or like a medium blue or some kind of green blue, everybody was 100% adamant. Before it was discovered, well, that wait. It was what green. um, what what colors combined turn green? Isn't like, isn't it like blue and yellow turn green? I forget. I used to mix that stuff up when I'm when I was younger. But like, if you paint, if you was it was it yellow and yellow and blue turns green? Um, Something I think like it's that. purple. No, no. Because if you have like, blue, a, you know, hold on, hold on. This is good. This is good. Maxwell's dropping knowledge. Okay, <laughs> blue, blue and yellow create green. So primary yeah. colors are red, blue, and yellow, but you only need blue and yellow to create green. Okay. This reminds me of kindergarten when we used to mix colors together. <laughs> yeah, so so if there's I, I think there's a there, like if there's like a like a green light that's come em, uh, emanating from something, then it the the color turns to turns to bluish. Or it could be like more there's more yellow lighting then that it turns into bluish i don't know you gotta kind of play with that and also like just for photographs like white balance settings that changes so red, like so much yeah, but stuff let's, let's forget about the photos for yeah, a second photos. let's talk about in-person in-person reports but red yellow and blue are the primary colors so you can't make them by using other colors so blue and red makes purple blue and yellow makes green, makes green. and yellow and red make orange so yeah, that is kind of weird. That is kind of weird. Yeah, like some people might perceive those sort of sort of colors differently. Like you might see purple yes, or whatever. Yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about yeah. So let's let's look at what other people have said. So Bobby Dassey was asked under direct examination by the incredibly credible Ken Kratz, full of integrity and honesty and respect for the law, who would never commit any crimes or perjury or lie about anything. So Ken Kratz says, could you describe the vehicle for the jury? Bobby Dassey says it was light green, like a teal color. So either it was blue, which blue teal, not light green or teal. So light green doesn't really make teal. I mean, I guess it depends on the shade, but... Ken Kratz responds, all right, from which way did this blue or teal SUV drive in? Wait, why is he saying blue or teal if Bobby said it was light green or teal? He says <laughs> it's light green, and Ken Kratz responds, did this blue or teal SUV drive in as you were looking out the window? <laughs> so then later he says, when you walked out to your vehicle to go bow hunting, 
Did you notice if the teal or blue SUV was still in the driveway? So what happened to green? <laughs> so you're right. It seems like different people are perceiving it differently. Zellner includes in her report Exhibit C, and it lists the car as dark green. Exhibit H is from Zellner's motion, and it's Fassbender's report. Do you remember who Fassbender is, uh, Maxwell? Shut up. Um, I forget. I think it's one of the cops or one of the prosecutors. I don't know. Oh, uh, I was thinking, um, what, if you look at the, uh, <coughs> well, I don't know. What, what is the real color of, uh, of, uh, how about its car? If you look at the, uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on. We're going to get color. to that. Hold on, hold on. We're going to get to that in a second. I just want to finish up with this. <laughs> so Fassbender is from the Wisconsin Department of Justice, Division of Criminal Investigation. His report lists that Ryan Hillegas, do you know who that is, Maxwell? Uh, is that the neighbor that's down the street? <laughs> no, that's Hallback's ex-boyfriend, one of the prime suspects in the case. Oh, okay. By critical oh, yeah, thinkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, prime suspect by critical thinkers, not, not by Manitowoc. So he mentioned that the victim's vehicle is a dark green. 99 RAV4. Okay, look, if we look at a color chart, Dark green cannot be mistaken for teal. Teal is a lightish green, a lightish green blue. So we have all these people saying it's dark green. That's a little different as regular green. I think that's what makes it crazy because it says dark green. What's also weird is uh, Kathleen Zellner, she got a rap for it too. Yeah. Just to, yeah, but that was blue, I think. Hers was blue. <laughs> I don't know if she was trying to get the right color or not, but she went for a blue one. Huh. But it's listed as dark green everywhere. So, okay. Maxwell wants to know what the VIN is. Like, what the what the actual color yeah, the, the, is. Man, manufacturer's original car, yeah. color. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the title of the car, right? It should say, they could change it to say blue, too. <laughs> so, it's it's listed as Mystic Teal Mica. Mystic Teal is the official manufacturer vehicle specification on the color. Okay. I'm looking at pictures and um, of that color on Google Images, and it's really funny because there's blue and green ones. <laughs> yes, it's blue-green, but can you... can you? No, no, one car is blue, and yeah. the same color listed as the same color is green. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That's huh? really weird. Yeah, but go to... Uh, uh, is that... Uh, Go to the company, maybe they have it there. It's really weird. Uh, it's, it seems like they're all older cars with this uh, Mystic Teal Mica. I don't know if they do that color anymore. <laughs> but that is pretty weird. It's like the same color car, but listed as the same color. But in the pictures, they look completely different. So it's also listed as there's Mystic Blue and there's Deep Jewel Green. So these are the uh, different colors. So before it was found, it was reported as dark green. After it was found, everybody called it blue. Now, three people from the crime lab listed regular blue. Not blue-green, not teal, not greenish-blue. They said it was regular blue. So Deep Jewel is the greenish one. Mm -hmm. So here's another problem. Sherry Coolhane says the RAV4 is blue. She listed the VIN, and 
so her family thinks it's dark green when what it was discovered it was blue. Sherry Colhane says blue. So so when they reported we have found a RAV4, what color specifically was the RAV4? This uh, and dispatch reports it was green. So deep jewel green pearl looks green and uh, mystic teal looks blue. It doesn't look blue green. Hmm. It's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, the one in the crime lab definitely looks blue, whereas the one with her in front of it looks more green to me. Uh-huh. So you see where you see the differences here? Yeah, green, blue. Some people actually think that photo of Teresa in front of the RAV4 is photoshopped. Uh, oh, they could have color corrected it. Yeah, but why? That Oh, oh, you mean innocently. Yeah, or that was, Yeah, that that would explain it. To get the lighting cuz she's a photographer, so I'm sure she probably used Photoshop or whatever. And like what is this photo too? Is it like it's like a random photo. Like, how did they get access to that? Like, why do they have that? It was probably provided by her family, right? Yeah, I guess so. Or it could um, be used as a professional. Maybe she yeah. did, she posted it somewhere. Who knows? But no, that's a good point. If it was color corrected. But why is her family saying it was dark green? They've seen it a million times. So they're saying it was deep jewel green. So there's Maxwell. Do you see the colors here? Uh, Hold on. Um... Okay. Can you so hear me? you see the difference between deep jewel green and mystic teal? It's quite. If you look at the splice, if you look at the splice where. Oh, I see. Yeah, mystic teal middle. Yeah. So that's the difference between the teal and the deep jewel green. So it seems everybody thought she had the deep jewel green, but she didn't. Yeah. So, so wait, all right, let me get this clear. The, her, the manufacturer's original color is Mystic, Mystic Teal? Mystic Teal? That is what the, the VIN states, yes. And, uh, okay, and Deep Jewel, okay, got it. Hmm. I mean, if you put yellow on that Mystic Teal, bluish, that would turn green. So if there's some, some yellow light, I don't know. I don't know, man. Johnny, final thoughts on the color? I don't know, man. It's 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 kind of easier to prove in photographs, but in real person, like uh, in person, it's kind of got to understand how eyeballs work. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But why are these people saying it's all different? Why is her family saying it's dark green? Why is it dark green on the missing person uh, poster? Some people, some people can't really remember from memory. So if they showed a photo going around, like, oh, do you remember this car? Oh yeah, it was green. Oh no, it was blue. No, I mean when she first went missing, and her family's reporting. Yeah, yeah, dark, dark green. Yeah, then it changes to blue. Yeah, like they're trying to change the color throughout the trial. No, it was blue this whole time. Yeah, it's weird, right? All right, yeah. let's let's move on to the damning evidence. The helicopter flyover on November fourth. The Rav Four is not there. 
<laughs> so, so this flyover was done on November 4th by NBC. You could see it on the NBC News report footage. So there's one car in Dassey's driveway. There's no cop cars or command center on Avery Road. And there's no RAV4 by the pond in the pit. So <laughs> we speculated about this earlier, trying to nail down what happened with the flyover. So, and the flyover ended at 6 p.m. on November 4th. So the RAV4 is not there. So what do you got, guys? Now we can see that Avery did not, so she left his property. The RAV4 is not on the property. So what does that mean for the case? It was stashed somewhere else, I guess. So did Avery do it or Avery's other personality stashed it somewhere else? Mm. Can you repeat the timeline on the, the, the flying and the, fi the finding? And okay, the, so the car the was found on the 5th. There was a November 4th flyover done by NBC, and this was aired, so you could, it could be verified. This is okay. NBC. It was also verified in a newspaper report that this flyover was done. It ended at about 6 p.m. During that flyover, there is no RAV4 on the property, or at least not in that spot. And on November 5th, the car is found at 10.30 a.m. by Pam Sturm in 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Kratz also admitted that the RAV4 is not visible in the footage during the November 4th, 2005 aerial surveillance. Um, I mean, it could have been anywhere on that property. I mean... Beforehand. What do you mean? Uh, there's so many cars that could have been parked in a different spot and then moved there. Um, or it obviously could have been somewhere else and then just driven there. Okay, so let's look at the tracks. Do you see the tracks? So there's tire tracks that are not there on the 4th, but by the 5th, there's all these tire tracks as if the RAV4 was driven from elsewhere. Yeah, that or possibly some other car, right? Yes, possibly another car, but the tracks are leading to where the RAV4 was found. Hmm. Maxwell, you see the tire tracks? It's hard to see. I mean, uh, it's kind of it's kind of hard to see. Are you looking at the fourth and the fifth? Are you talking about the the white marks that are close into the foreground? The tire tracks are pretty easy to see. I oh, know. I see. I see. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Like um, like right to the right of that grayish car like but it's a, it's a little bit of a different angle it seems like a um it seems like the right the fifth is a little bit higher angle so you can see a little bit of the track so the left image is the foreground says the fourth footage no tire tracks but it's like kind of hard to oh you mean where there's no tracks yeah yeah um yeah you know, so they they did a flyover on the fourth and also on the fifth Yes. So fourth, there was no car. Fifth, there was car. Correct. Okay. Maxwell, check the uh, check the image. Do you know what that area is where the tracks are? Like, is that his property or that's not his property? That's between his property and uh, Redont guy. Yeah, and Redont's quarry. Like, is that like a farm? Is it like a tractor or something? <laughs> no. Or just like a police cruiser that just wanted to drive through? Well, like, the problem is those tracks are right next to where you would go to plant the vehicle. Yeah. 
But yeah, do you know if there's any access? Because I know there was like a ditch in between the two, or some sort of uh, blockage or something between the two properties where a car can't necessarily drive through. It has or, to go around on the conveyor yeah, right. the conveyor road. So it, okay, that makes sense. Like it would just drive straight to that spot from that part. It would go left or right. Yeah. And then go go around. Okay. So theoretically, if the real killer had the Rav Four stashed elsewhere, then because here's the other problem: look at the vehicles around the Rav Four. I got a crazy theory. Uh, what do you What do you got, Johnny? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, it's not that crazy, but like, let's say, uh, okay, Avery gets back home, and the car is literally in his front driveway, just there. With the keys inside. <laughs> Somebody just dropped off. And he's like, oh shit, what is this doing here? And his finger is cut. And then he's like, oh, I gotta get rid of this or something. I don't know. They're gonna think I did it. How come no so fingerprints? He, How come no fingerprints? I mean, I, I don't know. And then he goes in the car and then tries to hide it on his property and covers it up. <laughs> Hopefully, But why not just it. put it in the car crusher, though? Uh, so, well, but you see. Do you see in the other photo where the RAV4 ends up, the other cars would have had to be moved as well? Like, there's two new, there's new cars there on the 5th. So it's like they blocked it in or something so it couldn't be moved out. Huh. Do you see that? The RAV4 location photo? Yeah, that's the, that's the weirdest photo I've ever seen. I mean, it's, the left photo looks like aluminum foil. And then the, the right side is like a parking lot. I mean, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> aluminum foil? Ma Maxwell's got his tinfoil hat on. <laughs> Which aluminum foil photo are you looking at? The fourth and fifth one? No, it's right there. Like the one he just sent me. Mm. The tire tracks one. Oh. oh, yeah, I see it. Okay. Aluminum foil. <laughs> Look at the one where it says the fourth, the fifth. And then Calumet County Sheriff's Office video from Avery Hallback investigation. Do yeah. you see how there's extra vehicles? Like the white car. Yeah. Yeah, Maxwell, you see that? They need HD. Like, Are you so... talking about the fourth and the fifth uh, photo? Yeah. Yeah, I see a couple of cars in front of the white car. Yeah, so they put the RAV. So, yeah, that's kind of weird, too. But anyway, so if the killer had it on redance and then brought it over all right let's look at uh let's look at something crazy this is a 911 call from stephen avery's neighbor which might be critical this might be a smoking gun what day so avery's neighbor saw a green blue rav4 accompanied by a white jeep just days before Pam Sturm found it in the salvage yard. All right, so guys, check out the extra vehicles. You got a white truck there. You have these two extra vehicles, the RAV4 from the 4th and the 5th. You see the differences between the 4th and the 5th from all these videos? Yeah. So someone moved more than one vehicle. Maxwell, any thoughts? I'm looking at it. I'm trying to decipher. <laughs> decipher away, Maxwell. Decipher away. Wait, wait. T t tell me, tell me what to look for. 
Well, you just look at the images. So you see it's labeled A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Just look at the photos. Uh, I'm just looking at the two X's, the two X vehicles. Um, yeah, look at A, B, C, D, the, the B, 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 the B and C is yeah. like circled. And what's because, the significance of that? Because they're not well, there. Look at, that... Yeah, look at the next image. On the fourth, B, C, and E, F, G are not there. G is the RAV4. Ah, I see. Huh. And we have different angles here as well. So this is from flyover and other angles. Johnny, what do you think? Um, uh, I don't know. I just remember when I looked into this, I didn't remember any other cars moving besides just the RAV4. But... Yeah, this white Jeep is a critical piece of the puzzle. So let's get into this. So let's get into this 911 call. So I'm going to play this call. Yes, okay. Sure, okay. Um, I've got a Vicky Seabird on the line. She said her dad lives at one two four zero eight Jamble Creek Road, yeah. and he said there's a lot of cars coming down that way, um, going into the drive. His driveway is right next to the driveway into the pit, and he said there's somebody shining some lights around, and he's all concerned that he doesn't think the police vehicles that maybe there's something else going on. Are you guys in that area? That's where they're working. I'm on it. Okay. But there are people working back out, there? Out in the pits. I don't know oh, okay. if they're going in that way or not. Let me check real quick. Okay. I'll call them. saying that there is law enforcement activity moving vehicles and stuff from the quarry entrance. So is this a damning call where they're basically admitting to moving vehicles? That's very interesting. How do you, very how bizarre. are they moving them though? They're just saying there's vehicle activity, like vehicles coming and going, and they're asking if it's law enforcement doing it. Obviously, if they were all law enforcement vehicles, they wouldn't be calling the police. By the way, there's police cars moving up and down the street. <laughs> they wouldn't be calling about that. There's other vehicles being moved. They're saying there's a lot of activity. So what does that tell us? You can see where it is between the quarry road and the RAV4 location. So if they're going to plant the RAV4, they would have to be passing by Seabird's house somewhere around that area or possibly be able to view from that house because there's all these conveyor belt, these conveyor roads that aren't used. Like there's that back entrance to the yard and then there's also the conveyor roads. So Seabird reported this and his daughter actually called in 
And is this the missing link of the whole case that proves complicity with law enforcement? Any thoughts? And, and this would be November 4th, the night, uh, night of November 4th. So Siebert said he thinks he may have seen Teresa Hallback's RAV4 driving into the back of Avery's salvage yard via a back quarry road days before a volunteer search party found it abandoned with blood on it in 2005. He doesn't remember the exact day. He said a couple days. So it was not the day of. It was a couple days. So that's where he saw it driving into the back. So. There's a couple of really weird, bizarre occurrences that we're going to go over next. So, Stephen Avery left with his mother and nephew, Brian Dassey, for the Crivets cabin. They left at 6 a.m. on November 5th. Is it a coincidence that as soon as they leave, because they left because the property was kind of seized for searching, so they basically kicked them off the property, or they just left. Uh, I actually don't remember. Do you do you recall from the from making a murderer, Johnny? Uh, what was that again? <laughs> <laughs> Max, did it. you catch that? <laughs> I missed it. What happened? Johnny just pulled the Maxwell. He said he missed it. <laughs> and you missed uh, you missed Johnny pulling a Maxwell. That that's even more that's even more unacceptable, Maxwell. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. So Stephen Avery left with Brian Dassey and his mother for the Crivets cabin at 6 a.m. on November 5th. Now, was he kicked off by law enforcement, or did he leave on his own accord while they were searching the property? I think they told him he couldn't be there, right? I, I don't remember. Uh, I thought it was they didn't want him to leave because they were afraid he might, like, try to run because they probably oh. already... Well, so why did, he go for the, why did he go to the cabin? Maybe he was allowed. I don't know. He's like, go to the cabin now so we can plant this damn car. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, he they he did go there. Then he came back, right? And then they had all this crap that they found. More stuff. Maxwell, do you recall why they went to the Crivets cabin? Uh, no, I don't. Actually, I thought it was something new, but I guess not. Because, yeah, wouldn't law enforcement stop him from going there? Because what if he escaped? Yeah, but like he wasn't necessarily a suspect, so well, hold on a second. They didn't have a warrant to search the property at the time, right? So he didn't think anybody would be searching his property, yes. But you said that he left on the 5th, but they found the car the 5th, right? Yes, well, they left at 6 a.m. on the 5th. So did they leave because if nobody had a warrant, so they didn't think anybody would search it? But here's the other thing. If he's that freaking stupid, they're going to leave the RAV4 covered with some twigs and branches and then just go for a vacation in the cabin? <laughs> like, let's try, to, let's try to take this from the state's perspective again. So they think that Stephen Avery is just going to go for a vacation in the cabin in Crivets just because leaving the cabin with the blood, uh, leaving the RAV4 with the blood in it right on his property covered by a couple of twigs. Because, <laughs> yeah, it would have to be, like, planted or put in place on the 4th, the night, at night, right? At Sometime. least, yeah, at least. And then, because he's leaving at 6 a.m., so they left at 6 a.m. for the cabin. But Earl, Earl was left there, I believe, right? Earl was still there, Earl Avery. I think so. And it's about an hour drive 
So yeah, if this is the they... greatest, if this is the greatest criminal mastermind of all time, so they bleach the they bleach the garage, no evidence anywhere. There's no evidence in the bedroom. They're the greatest criminals ever. They have the burn pit where even dogs can't find any remains. They tricked everybody. They just left the Rav Four and went up to the cabin. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's kind of random to leave if he didn't do it. Um. But the, there's so, is there's if there's bones in the backyard, there's there's her items in the burn barrels. There's the if if all this if all this evidence is is legit, why wouldn't he take it with him to Krivitz and get rid of it at the cabin? Because if nobody maybe he did. <laughs> no, but then how was it found in the burn barrels in the burn pit? Well, not not all of it was found though. Yeah, I know, but he's just gonna leave her cell phone there. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking like, what if um it is like one of his family members that did it? Oh, and he right? didn't know, he didn't know, and he didn't know. But ah. then they they kind of recommended for him to like, you know what, go take a break and like, ah. uh, yeah. and then they could he's not there, so they can do whatever they need to do, plant whatever. Like if it was his family, or maybe the police told him to go take a break and like come back in a few days or something. Huh. You know what I mean? Like a psychological kind of like. Um, no, who are you thinking? Bob? Are you thinking Bobby did it? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't really know, but I'm just thinking like, like it'd be harder to plant or do stuff if he's there, especially if they're trying to pin it against ah, him. Yeah, yeah, but people are also saying if if it's the cops that are doing it, possibly with. See, some people think that Manitowoc did it with Bobby Dassey or Scott Kadich Tadike Tadika. How do you how do you pronounce that, Maxwell? <laughs> uh, Tadik. <laughs> oh, Maxwell is paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Tad Dyke. <laughs> Tadich. All right, so so yeah, some people think if they're working with law enforcement, yeah, that's a good point. They need to get rid. They need to get him out of there so they can plan everything. Yeah. And of course, Earl Avery wouldn't know about that. So if he let people search or whatever, he wouldn't know because of course he thinks they're all innocent and he's not necessarily... I mean, I don't know. If you're Earl Avery, would you think that the, the cops are planning to frame Stephen again? Or would you think that's so outlandish they wouldn't do that because of what happened the first time and let your guard down? Yeah. Hmm. How did they come to the conclusion that he did it, though? I mean, I guess the blood and all that stuff, but like... No, but that was before they found the blood, right? Yeah. Everybody wanted Avery. All right, so let's go back to Seabird's testimony. So there, uh, and let's, let's try to formulate this theory here. So he's leaving, he left for Krivitz, and that's with Brendan, right? Brendan went too. Oh, I don't Brian. know. Did he? Yeah, Brian and Brendan. And the mom and dad, or just... It says his mother, so I, I, it doesn't say his father, but I don't know. And so, yeah, they went up. And so if they left at 6 a.m., all of this activity could have theoretically been done even before Earl Avery. See, Earl Avery is the only one who doesn't live on the Avery salvage yard property. So Chuck Avery left for Krivitz with Brendan 8 p.m. on November 4th. So they left the night before. So Chuck and Brendan Dassey left the night before. and. Avery, Brian Dassey, and his mother left 6 a.m. on November 5th. That's another weird thing. Wouldn't they all go at the same time? Maxwell, what do you think about all this weirdness? Um, yeah, I got a little lost. <laughs> Maxwell. 
some yeah, of the, kind of some weird. Of the family, Why do they all do that? Some of the family left the night before, some the morning of. Maxwell, any theories on why they did that when they went up to the cabin and they left, I guess, Earl Avery to manage things? Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a lot going on. I, I don't know. And so, and coincidentally, this is when Ryan Hillegas, law enforcement, Pam Sturm, they're planning to find the RAV4 that day. Yeah, I'm leaning towards somebody told them to leave just to, like, get away. I, I don't see why they would want to personally choose to go away during but this time. Isn't it a coincidence that the RAV4 is immediately found within hours of them leaving? Yeah. Is that too much of a coincidence for you, Maxwell? That, that they left? That the RAV4 just happens to be found a few hours after they all leave for the cabin. Like, it wasn't found the day before. It wasn't found the day after that. Oh, I see. I it's see. Within, so they hours, all, they, they all... within Within hours of Stephen Avery being off of the property, they find the raffle. <laughs> That's weird. Wait, why they, uh, they leave the property? We just spent about 20 minutes discussing that. Oh, but that's so weird. No, because I was thinking like they left the cabin or something. Well, Johnny's theory is that someone told them to leave. So either Bobby, Scott, today, they, or his sister, maybe they said, yeah, get out of town, get the stress, you know, it's too stressful here. Yeah. Like, you know. And if law and enforcement told them to say that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Or, or, even, yeah, law makes, enforcement, makes sense. or even law enforcement told them to do it. That'd be weird. Wouldn't Stephen Avery have said that, though? Yeah, that should be on record. But he probably didn't think anything of it, though. So he might not remember or even put two and two together. Yeah, but he doesn't trust the police. So if they told him to leave, I think his first thought would be, oh, you're going to plant stuff as soon as I leave. So it makes more yeah, sense but, for his but sister. They, but they, yeah, whoever did. But they might have not said it in that way. Like, I think you should get out of here. Maybe they, like, built up a story. Like, it's getting kind of crazy. Oh, do you still have that cabin up north? I mean, I don't know. Like, kind of play into it. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Like, yeah. I could see his. I could see his sister or someone else saying that. I. I don't see the police. I don't see him. I don't see him doing that because the police said something. Uh -huh. So the police must have said something to other members of the family. If there is this weird complicit, if they are complicit in some conspiracy, I could see them doing that. Yeah, because he would trust his sister, right? Especially yeah. back, especially back then. I mean, didn't they get in, They got into a fight though, and that's why there was no bonfire. But that was the previous week. If they get into a fight every other week, I guess that's huh. fine. The other thing that's weird is that, uh, yeah. So we have this white truck. We have to solve the mystery of the white truck. Huh. So here's what Cy uh, Seabird said. He was. On the southeast side of the Avery Auto Salvage off Jambo Creek Road, directly beside the entrance to the quarry behind the yard, lives Wilmer Siebert, a man in his 70s who considers himself friends with the Averys. Siebert said he saw what he thinks might be Teresa Hallback's Toyota RAV4 accompanied by another vehicle, a mysterious white Jeep, days before the search party found the RAV4 on the salvage yard. Seabird said he was just hanging out in his backyard one day when he saw the RAV4 speeding quickly down the back road that leads into the quarry behind the Avery Auto Salvage, and directly behind it was a white Jeep. About a half an hour later, only the Jeep returned. Hmm. It was a white Jeep, 
just a smaller Jeep, and it looked like the paint was peeling off the hood. You could see like an undercoating on the hood. The Jeep was what I saw come back out, but I didn't see the RAV4 come out, said Seabird. Seabird cannot precisely remember the day or time he saw the vehicle because of how long ago it was now, but he estimates he saw the vehicles less than a week, perhaps a couple days or three days before it was discovered. Seabird said vehicles regularly travel down to Quarry Road, but he noticed these two particular vehicles because they were driving faster than usual. They must have been going about 40 miles an hour, said Seabird. Seabird could not tell who or how many people were in the vehicle. Shortly after the incident, he witnesses the lady found the car back there, said Seabird, referring to the vehicle's discovery by Pam Sturm as she participated in a volunteer search party. Seabird said he cannot be 100% certain it was Hallback's RAV4, but because it was the same green-blue color, and because he rarely saw RAV4s, he's pretty sure it was. Siebert said he's been buying parts from Avery Auto Salvage since before he moved to the home in 1970. He also raised questions about how the search parties could have found the vehicle so quickly. I don't know how the search party could find that car that quick because I needed a gas tank for a truck once, and they gave me the row that it was in and what kind of truck it was, and I didn't find that truck in that short of a time, said Seabird. <laughs> and he lives nearby. <laughs> Chuck Avery, mm -hmm. who is also Stephen Avery's brother, has owned the salvage yard since the 90s, and he confirmed that at the time of Teresa Hallback's murder, the back of the Avery lot could be accessed from the quarry road, but since that time, the rear entrance has been blocked. Seabird said he was not questioned by police or lawyers except for when an FBI agent came to his door shortly after Hallback went missing and showed him a picture of Hallback and asked if he knew her, which he didn't. Seabird is a quiet family man and said because no one asked him directly about it at the time, he never thought to tell anyone. I really didn't want to get involved. I didn't know for sure what was going on and how this was going to be handled, said Seabird. Seabird said he is not looking for attention and he's only speaking about it now because Netflix documentary made him ask questions. Seabird said during the investigation of Hallback's murder, the police barricaded the quarry road entrance about 50 feet from his back steps and blocked the same section of road that he had observed the RAV4 and Jeep earlier. He said, if anyone moves those barricades, give me a call, but he never gave me a number. How would I get a hold of him, said Seabird. Once again, does this seem like a professional operation? You're going to tell somebody to call you and not give them your number? <laughs> That's weird. 911. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess. <laughs> huh. But... I guess he's insinuating that particular individual told them to get back to him directly. Because otherwise, yeah. why, would he said, why would he say that? One evening, Seabird said he witnessed Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department vehicles driving past the barricade and then going through the Avery property with lights on late into the night. Is this before the warrant? He said he wanted to report that someone had crossed the barrier, but he didn't know who to call. So he told his daughter, Victoria Seabird, to call the police, who then told her that there was nothing to worry about. <laughs> his daughter confirmed this wait he witnessed Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department vehicles driving past the barricade wait was it the FBI guy that said not to move the barricade or if anybody huh that's weird huh, huh. does that mean that the FBI knew, doesn't trust Manitowoc County what's going on here 
He said he wanted to report that someone crossed the barrier. He didn't know who to call, so he told his daughter to call the police, who then told her there was nothing to worry about. His daughter confirmed this. Wilmer Siebert said the next day it was announced on television that they had found Teresa Hallback's keys on the property, but doesn't make any claims to what that might mean. Siebert actually likes the Averys and considers them friends. Is that like the only guy in that area who likes the Averys? <laughs> he said since, or is that because he's sort of new to the area and everybody's there has been there for generations and he just moved there in the 70s. He said since buying his house and raising nine children, neither him nor anyone from his family that he knows of has ever had a bad dealing with any of the Avery family. Siebert has even been on fishing trips with Alan Avery, Stephen's father. We have Gregory Allen, Stephen Allen Avery, Alan Avery. <laughs> Maxwell's keeping track of all of this meticulously, right, Maxwell? Yeah, that's rough. That's a lot of players. That's like, that's like, that's like playing chess 12 times or something. Or like playing, playing like 12 games at the same time, 12 chess games. Don't you do that all the time on weekends in the park, Maxwell? <laughs> I can't really find no fault with them because I never had any trouble with them. I always thought they were good people. They treated me fair, at least he said. So that's pretty interesting, right? Yeah. So you know what's funny? Guess who had a white truck Jeep vehicle? Well, uh, I know. Who? <laughs> One of the... Police officers. Yeah, Andy Coburn. Maxwell, do you know who that is? Uh, yeah, that's the one that's um, like one of the cops that sat on his bed or something. <laughs> now, that was the guy from, uh, from Calumet. The guy that just was taking a nap. What was he doing? Taking a nap on the bed while they were finding the key that in a room <laughs> that had been searched so many times before with no key. And then, yeah, it was Coburn and Lank. But yeah, apparently uh, Google Maps even captured an image of a 1999 Isuzu Rodeo in Andy Coburn's driveway. Huh. So yeah, just a generic type white Jeep. Some people think the Jeep might be a light silver Suzuki owned by the Averys. So, but in October and November of 2005, Avery's gray Suzuki was parked in his garage and could not be driven because the clutch was not working. Huh. So it couldn't have been. Yeah, so on, on the 6th, Deputy Dan Kucharski, I'm sure Maxwell knows all of these people because he's been part of this podcast for so long. Yeah, on the 6th. Wait, who's, who's, who's Katharji? Kucharski? Yeah, who's that again? Dep he's a deputy. So he oh, was gotcha. at the scene, and he searched the garage. And obviously, he's conducting the search with Lank and Remaker. These guys keep coming up. And Coburn. There's no conflict of interest here at all. <laughs> they assisted him in the search and collection of evidence. <laughs> collection. <laughs> Does he mean planting? <laughs> so... They collected samples of suspected blood from the garage floor. I don't know if that was the deer spec DNA that Avery magically put back, along with years of dust and grime after the greatest bleach job in the history of crime. Empty 22 casings from the garage floor and the rear door of a Suzuki Samurai truck parked inside the garage for possible fingerprint evidence. So it was in the garage. Okay. On page 163... Of the report, Jody indicates that Stephen 
When Stephen is finished working, he will normally eat, talk with his mother, and then begin to work on cars. She was asked about the Suzuki that was in Stephen's garage. She indicated she does not know where the vehicle was parked, but it but stated it does not run. Okay. Dassey indicated that he had seen the Suzuki that we discussed with him parked at Stephen's garage for two weeks. He indicated the clutch is out and you have to push it to move it. He stated the Suzuki was parked in the garage the week before the girl went missing. I asked Bobby about the position of the Suzuki Samurai. Bobby thought that his best, to his best recollection, the Suzuki was in the garage for a while and he was unsure when Stephen moved it out of the garage. He stated that he was never in the garage when the Suzuki was parked in the garage and he stated that he could no longer independently recall where the Suzuki was positioned when he left for hunting. So wait a second. When they killed... When they killed her in the garage, well, if they killed her in the bedroom with no evidence, then they killed her again in the garage with no evidence. At what point did they park the vehicle back in there? So they did the greatest cleanup bleach job ever, or did they kill her when the Suzuki was in there, if these people don't know the exact dates? What do you think, Maxwell? What do you got? Uh, I don't know. Johnny? So, yeah, you. so they couldn't drive it. You can only push it to get it out of the way, right? Supposedly the clutch was out, unless they're all lying as well, because we can't. It's kind of hard to keep track of all these changing statements by everybody. So the, 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 that car was in the garage, and then taken out, and then pushed back in. So they don't know when, when they fixed it. So or if they fixed it at all. Hmm. So they said they, it was parked in the garage the week before the girl went missing. So could she have been killed with a Suzuki in the garage? And there's no evidence. That garage isn't that huge. I mean, it, it, it's decently big, but they got no blood on it. And they did the greatest uh, cleanup job in the history of the world with the Suzuki in the garage. And there's no evidence on it. Yeah, I see a photo now with it in there. Um, it's pretty big. There's enough room. There's yes. enough room to kill somebody and do a full cleanup job without getting oh. anything on the Suzuki? I mean, definitely possible to kill. I don't know about cleaning. <laughs> there wouldn't even be one speck that happened to find its way onto the Suzuki. <laughs> hmm. Looks like there was also a snowmobile in there. Hmm. Oh, yeah, the garage changed. So from 2005, when it happened, versus 2006, when they found the bullets, the garage was in a different sort of uh, setup. It was a different car in the garage. Yeah, that, that, that gray Suzuki doesn't even look white, though. I mean, that's like dark gray. Yeah, it's great. With that stripe on the side. I mean, that's not even close to what was seen anyway. So, I don't know. That's, I, I don't even, you, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, here's what's weird, though. Kratz is caught in another lie when he talks about, so Robert Fabian, all more people to keep track of from Maxwell. He's keeping, keeping track of everything. Robert Fabian was interviewed by detectives about seeing Stephen Avery on October 31st between 4 and 5 p.m. He and Earl Avery both lied. Earl's wife is friends with Andy Coburn's wife. Are you ready for a mind shock, Maxwell? Did you know that? Earl's wife is friends with Andy Coburn's wife. How does that work? Oh, that's interesting. That's all you got? Well, how good are friends like... I don't know, but Earl they're, Avery... They come, they come over and play Scrabble and shit. Is that your favorite game? <laughs> nah, chess. Uh, uh, 12 chess game, 12 game. Do you play chess and Scrabble at the same time with multiple games going with multiple people? That's how good Maxwell is with his memory. 
<laughs> no, but it's it's kind of weird because Earl Avery's the one that's left on the property when everybody else goes up to the cabin, and he doesn't live on the. He's the only one that doesn't live on the property, and. Well, Earl's wife is friends with Andy Coburn's wife. Did I say that wrong? I said, did I say Earl was friends with Andy Coburn's wife? I thought I thought Avery was friends with Earl. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought you said Avery was. No, <laughs> Earl Avery, not Stephen. Do you know the? Do you know? Do you know who the main person in accused of this crime is? It's Stephen Avery, not Earl Avery. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I I knew Stephen Avery, but I thought for some reason. It clicked in my brain and I saw his face playing Scrabble with Steve Colburn's wife. Andy Colburn. <laughs> or Andy Colburn, sorry. <laughs> oh, man, this is crazy. Okay. No, no, no. Earl Avery's wife is friends with Andy Colburn's wife. The wives are friends. Okay, anyway, Fabian wasn't at the Avery property with Earl on the 31st. He was there on Wednesday, November 2nd. And this is in the Queso file, page 208, page 237. At the pretrial hearing, page 172, Earl says it was Wednesday or Thursday, not Monday, October 31st, when he and Fabian went rabbit hunting at the Avery property. So supposedly some people believe that Fabian and Earl Avery's statements in November 2005 to the police were coerced as well. Because all these people, I mean, is this like the legend of the bonfire, which we went over in previous episodes where there was no bonfire, then the bonfire, there was a bonfire, and then there was a huge bonfire. It just kept growing with time, this legend that nobody can corroborate. <laughs> it's just, this is beyond bizarre. But in November 2005, Fabian told detectives that on October 31st, he saw Stephen Avery at his black truck parked just outside his garage, unloading a snowmobile from a trailer hookup to his truck. Fabian was supposed to testify that he saw the Suzuki outside the garage. The following is part of Fabian's testimony at Avery's trial. Yes, I believe there was a snowmobile trailer hooked up to the truck, and I don't believe the garage doors were open, and I don't remember the van sitting there. Ken Kratt says, all right, let's talk about each of these things individually. Well, he doesn't. He only talks about the garage door and the burn barrel. During closing arguments, Kratz says the following to the jury. Mr. Fabian also tells you at the time, just before dark, he places that just before dark when the rabbit hunt was just about completed, that Mr. Avery's garage was closed. He couldn't see what was inside of the garage. There isn't any SUV anymore. There is nothing to be seen. The garage is closed, but the Suzuki and the snowmobile are on the side of the garage. All right. So this is critical because if the Suzuki was not outside when the RAV4 could not be inside. So Kratz lied about this, but it seems like they're trying to make it seem like this happened on a day that it didn't happen. So supposedly this did not happen on Halloween. And how did all these things happen with nobody else seeing? Like all of a sudden this Robert Fabian guy is, is rabbit hunting on the property. Like this was never mentioned before. Like, is this the weirdest presentation of a case that you've ever seen by a state, by the state? It's just bizarre. They expect everybody to believe there was a bonfire that nobody saw. These guys are rabbit hunting on the property. Brendan Dassey's coming to the bonfire. Then there is no bonfire. I mean, what is going on on this Halloween day? There's like 50 million things going on and then nothing going on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Max, playing, what do you got here? They're playing Scrabble. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm lost as hell right now. Kinda. 
But the snowmobile is an interesting point because it did one of Avery's other split personalities. If he took the snowmobile and somehow, like, what did he do on it? Did he transfer Teresa's body via snowmobile? That would be too difficult, right? Because there'd be way more evidence. Yeah, and there wasn't that much snow out there, anyway. Yeah, none of it, none of it really makes any sense. He also, apparently, from Avery's trial, Stephen unloaded the snowmobile and put it inside the garage. So this would have been at 5 p.m. on Halloween. So if, if everything is inside the garage, I mean, yeah, there's still enough room, but wouldn't there be some blood spray on any of the vehicles? Not to mention the corners of the garage, not to mention the cracks in the, in the cement of the garage. And supposedly there was also a Monte Carlo inside the garage that Steven was working on. Did you hear about this, Maxwell? What's that? That there was another vehicle inside the garage. So if there's two vehicles inside the garage, is that enough room to kill somebody? Uh, yeah, you, gotta, you just got to be agile. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, they did it in the, in the bedroom, though. Well, supposedly, then they did it again in the garage. I mean, how many, uh, there's different stories, right? Did they, depending on what they did, they shot her in the garage, right? Because that's why the bullets are there. But then they cut her throat in the bedroom, or then they cut it again in the garage and then shot her. Hmm. The state's case doesn't really make any sense. Supposedly, they killed her in his bedroom, then they killed her again in the garage. But if there was another vehicle, if there were two vehicles and a snowmobile in the garage, like how agile are you going to be? And then if it's Brendan and Steven killing Teresa, that's three people in the garage. Plus, you got to, like, tie her up. And, and it's, I don't know. It's kind of bizarre. Kind of bizarre. And you're doing all of this without anybody seeing anything. And then what's with the bonfire? That never happened. I mean, none of this really makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't really make too much sense. But let's go back to the RAV4. So. His neighbor sees all this activity. Okay. So if the RAV4 was not Teresa's RAV4, if it was a decoy RAV4 to be found, but they had the RAV4 at the crime lab either the whole time or there was a switcheroo. So here's a theory that someone online proposed. It's quite interesting. There was no switch. The police truly did seize her vehicle on November 3rd, 2005, when the report was filed, or else that document wouldn't have existed in the first place. Andrew Coburn's call proves he was in fact with the vehicle, or else he wouldn't have called in her plate. He'd have no reason to if he wasn't looking at a RAV4. And had it been anyone else's RAV4, he'd have called in different plates instead of Teresa's. I bet he wasn't alone for the vehicle on the turnaround was a spectacle, for residents were on the lookout for her vehicle, and many witnesses claimed to have seen it in the same exact position for almost a week. People reported it many times without it ever being investigated or looked into. Why did many reports go unnoticed or just brushed off? They should have been taking every call seriously. But when Manitowoc seized the RAV4 on the 3rd, the report was explained away by human error. CAD systems are programmed just as computers are programmed with date and time. No such error could have been caused due to human ignorance. The report was correct and not a misprint, which means Teresa's vehicle remained at the crime lab or impound hidden 
until they knew what to do with it. Somehow, they needed to get Teresa's vehicle on the property without being caught with Teresa's actual vehicle. To do this, what better method to accomplish this than by planting a clone lookalike on the Avery salvage yard? They needed to make it appear Teresa's vehicle was on the property so people would buy into the story and narrative they created, creating the illusion, give them time to gather up enough evidence to plant. Second, they needed to seize the Avery property. In order to do this, they needed to make it appear as if they found Teresa's vehicle on the property. They couldn't search the Avery compound without a search warrant without probable cause. So they interviewed Avery on the 4th and left sometime before noon. They went back after being informed that there would be a change of plans. They said they were going to go back down to Avery's to interview again, him again a second time. But this interview was to create a diversion so that they could not only distract Avery and his family from taking their attention away from the yard, but also use that time to plant a decoy on the Avery's property while he was being interviewed. The officers who tried planting the vehicle ran into a problem for the back road they used to get up onto Avery's property was blocked by two cars. So it took a little time, but they used the decoy vehicle, busting the driver's side lower headlight when they were forcing the car open and using the decoy, pushing the vehicles to create a gap to get through. During this very slowly and as silently as they could, I'm sure it took time having the headlights off and it being late in the evening as it was getting dark, making it hard for them to see. I'm sure they got out of the decoy a few times as one was driving and another was giving directions. As they got close to where they wanted to plant and leave the decoy, the interview was just about ending. The police leave the property and as they drove away, Steve and Chuck notice headlights in the back of the property. Noticing the lights in the distance, they drive back to the end of the property to notice the vehicle gone. It being too dark to see, they never noticed the planted decoy or the moved vehicle that blocked the road. They best give this statement to not only the news media, but also the police department several times. November 5th, 2005, Pam conveniently finds the vehicle after being on the property less than 15 to 20 minutes. I don't buy it for a second. The vehicle was definitely planted. The RAV4 that was found on Avery's property was not there until the day before. Media coverage did a flyby over the Avery property and took aerial footage proving that the vehicle was not there on the 4th. Then Calumet County did a flyby over the Avery property the following day prior to Pam finding the vehicle. Also taking aerial footage when the vehicle was present. No, something's amiss here and it reeks of police corruption. The evidence... I have will prove the police, in fact, used the decoy RAV4 and planted it. If that's true, it also means that the vehicle of Teresa's was seized on the 3rd. If Stephen's blood is in that vehicle, then it was planted, because Stephen's blood had no business being in a decoy vehicle that's not Teresa's RAV4 that was found on the Avery property. If the vehicle's a decoy and the blood was planted, then it's a magnitude of corruption on a scale of monumental and epic proportions. I believe the RAV4 to be the RAV that was first discovered to have a broken windshield and driver's side window. The police investigated and ruled out that it was Teresa's RAV4. Is this that RAV4? Maxwell, what do you think? Was this a decoy RAV4? Possibly the wrong color, possibly with the VIN plate moved, which we'll discuss in a moment. Uh, I don't know. It's possible. Maxwell's always got the most 
astute, detailed, groundbreaking observations. Johnny, what do you think? I mean, the way that person put it together makes it fit pretty well, I guess. Um, it's a lot of thinking, but um, well, why, yeah, it sounds like it's possible. Yeah, because there's a headlight issue. And the headlight there's after the was found in the back, in the trunk, right? It was, they, the headlight was in the trunk, right? They picked it up and put it back into the trunk. Like, it wasn't, like, missing or anything. Um, there, well, there's a, there's a couple problems with the vehicle. So, so there's an issue with the tire. So some people think that the left front tire of the RAV4 was changed after Teresa Hallback disappeared, but before the RAV4 was found at Avery Salvage Yard. Why would it need to be changed? Well, um, the, well let's look at it. So, Maxwell, do you see that uh, the tire? So it looks like it's not exactly rotated the same way in terms of where everything on the tire is. You mean like the rim? Like, look at where the letters of the tire line up to the design in the rim. Mm. So if it was changed... So this is an interesting post that someone, uh, someone posted December 28, 2018. I was cleaning my car today and I was cleaning my tires. I realized that in one photo of Teresa Hallback's car, the tire looked clean compared to the others. So I had to come in and check what I was thinking. The photo Pam Stern took of the left-hand side of the car when she found the RAV4 showed a fair bit of the tire. And on enlarging that, I saw all the dirt embedded in the grooves of the tire. But the flat part of the tire, the sidewall, was actually quite black, not dusty at all. I tried to find a right-hand photo of the RAV4, but there doesn't seem to be any, but I found one, and after enlarging it, there doesn't seem to be any dirt embedded in the tire or much dirt at all. So I'm thinking the RAV4 must have been driven left-hand side, partly through wet, muddy, damp water or something, and enough for it to be embedded and stay embedded on the right-hand side of the vehicle must have been on dry, hard dirt or road. This also made sense when I saw dirt splashes on the left-hand side of the vehicle, but not the right. From the photos of the, at the crime lab, the front left tire is clean, no embedded dirt anywhere. The left-hand back tire seems to be the same as it was found at the Average Salvage Yard, but the front tire is way different to that of the tire where the RAV4 was found. So... Tom Pierce was actually the one who took the famous photo of Teresa with the RAV4 in the background. Uh -huh. Which is also kind of weird because the state of Wisconsin's corporate database lists Pierce photography as being listed April 18th, 2004. So that's only 24 days before the first depositions in Avery's civil case, which were May 12th. 2005. And as soon as Making a Murderer came out, Tom closes down the company. <laughs> so here's another weird thing. Teresa graduated in 2002. Her senior year, she was an intern for Pierce Photography. She also started her own business at Pierce, while well, she was at Pierce Photography in 2002, 2003. Well, that's kind of weird. So it was only 
organized corporately 2005 pierce photography yeah that's kind of weird but it was closed down when making a murderer comes out it's it's kind of weird it was administratively dissolved on june 13th 2017 that's pretty weird pretty weird but anyway so the left tire was changed or remounted after this photo was taken so if you look at the tire stems they're almost in the exact position in the crime lab photo but not in the pierce photo in relation to the pam Sturm photos so apparently this can't be due to tire rotation because if the tires were rotated the rear tire on the driver's side would have been rotated to the front of the vehicle yet the three wheel weights are in the same position on the rim of the rear tire in the photo taken by Pierce as they are in the photos taken at Avery Auto Salvage and at the Wisconsin State Crime Lab. The weights are hard to see in the crime lab photographs. Oh. I don't know. What about the tire looks kind of new, doesn't it? Like, um, I mean, it doesn't look new because of all the dirt and stuff. But um, what if it was switched with the tire in the back that's hanging on the, the trunk? I mean, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? The spare tire? Yeah. I don't know what that would really mean. But... Well, there are those weird palm prints on this, on the back. It's it yeah. weird. And then sometimes they exist, sometimes they don't. But who's, who would have switched it? Maxwell, are you following this? Yeah, I don't know if they ever did. I'm, look, I'm looking at all the photos. Um, I Yeah. I wonder if they ever did any tests on the actual the spare tire, like what that looks like. So, I mean, it does seem that the tire was changed, though, by who we don't know, when exactly we wouldn't know. But if it was damaged at the same time when the front end of the RAV4 was damaged. So <laughs> Kathleen Zellner filed this in her motion for post-conviction relief June 7th, 2017. Northwest of Mr. Avery's trailer, between the Avery property and the cul-de-sac at Cuss Road, there was a metal post protruding approximately two and a half feet from the ground. And this is, there's a photo showing this, Exhibit 51, P-C, Exhibit 51. When the killer attempted to plant Miss Hallback's vehicle near Mr. Avery's trailer, he collided with this post, causing the damage to the front end of Miss Hallback's RAV4 and knocking out the driver's side parking lot. He recognized the need to retrieve the parking light because leaving it or any pieces of it in the field would show the RAV4 left the Avery property contrary to Mr. Kratz's theory that the RAV4 never left the Avery property. <laughs> so if this rusted metal post caused the damage, the point of impact would have been on the bumper area directly below the headlight assembly. As this vehicle moved forward from the primary point of impact, the rusted metal post would have scratched and dented the area to the right of the headlight assembly. The second point of impact could have been the area below the blinker light assembly, which caused the blinker light to snap, break, pop out. The RAV4 at Avery Salvage Yard was tarped almost immediately after it discovered. Remember the whole circus act with the tarp? Yeah. And the strange amounts of time passing by. Nobody mentioned any damage on the vehicle or seeing any blood inside or outside the vehicle. After dark, the tarp was removed and the RAV4 was loaded onto an enclosed trailer. 
By 9.30, it was ready to be transported on the trailer to the state crime lab in Madison. So you're looking at all the damage, Maxwell? Yeah. You have yeah, all... Are we, look... are we still looking at the same one? The same... Okay. So you see the headlight damage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a... Yeah. I remember that from a while ago. Yeah, and then you could also see that metal post that it might have hit. Uh, I see. But technically, it could have hit anything. I don't know how they would determine it was that one, but, I mean, the, it's a salvage yard. You're going through back roads. It, there's a million different things it could have hit. Could hit. I mean, I don't know. So the damage, the broken left turn signal was placed in the cargo hold after the accident. Diagonal parallel creases in the left front bumper near the turn signal. Two small puncture marks at the top of the diagonal creases. Puncture damage to left front bumper at the corner of the car. The puncture is flared out, perhaps because a chain or cable was used to pull on it, or perhaps due to an object being trapped under the bumper when the car was backed away from what it hit. Front left wheel well liner was likely dislodged and removed as a result of the accident. Pins that hold it to the front of the wheel well were likely popped out. The wheel well liner would have created interference for the tire. A strange object wadded up above the front left tire. It is perhaps the wheel well liner wadded up foam created by the air up tire sealer and inflator found under the front passenger seat or wadded up duct tape holding something in place. There also appears to be a curved part in the wheel well that may be part of the liner or a foreign object. So it, some people think that could have been a toe strap. So we don't know, but they did find a can of air up tire sealant. And that was tagged into evidence, tag 8073, in the CASO report, page 426. So, yeah, this vehicle had some damage, and then they're not letting Zellner retest any of this. Why do you guys think that is? Because they'll find something that <laughs> they just overlooked or just made up. So, apparently, we don't know exactly what happened with the spare. That was a good question before, Johnny. So, but Weigert did have the RAV4 spare tire cover in 2006. It was dusted at the crime lab, and in the photograph, we can see that it looks like it's covered in fingerprints. So, we don't know if the spare tire itself was checked, and the condition of the spare would be important because it does come with a full-size spare. The lug wrench was found in the RAV4 and taken into evidence, but the crank for the jack was not found. Huh. And... The toolkit bag, which includes the lug wrench and the crack crank, was not even entered into evidence. Yeah, so like to to crank it up, you can't do it on dirt or grass. You have to be on like cement. You know what I mean? Like something really hard. Yeah, that's another good point, Maxwell. What do you think? Unless they put like a piece of two by four under it, I don't know if that would be able to hold it. Probably crack. Well, here's the other thing. So the air-up can was found under the front passenger seat. So that's where the carjack is supposed to be stored. Oh. So we don't see. know when that was taken out of the vehicle. That could have been a while ago. Yeah. Huh. And the factory toolkit storage location is in the cargo compartment on the driver's side. So that's where the kit should have been. So that's kind of weird. Maxwell, what do you think? And the rubber mat is the rubber mat is missing from the blood-stained cargo area in the back. You can That's see weird. all these photos. Did, did, any, did anyone mention that in court or no? 
Huh? Mention Pro what? Probably not. The, miss the missing carpet rug thing. They might have. They might have said that uh, when she was transported, it had evidence in it, so they took out took it out with the evidence. I mean, they took it out with the body because it was bloody. Why would they leave it in if it had blood on it? So I, gu I guess they're postulating that even though Avery's the greatest criminal mastermind in history and he can clean a, a bleacher garage with possibly two vehicles and a snowmobile and three people in it at the same time, he can do that and put all the years of dust and grime back around vehicles if they were in there and also deer spec DNA putting that back. But for some reason, he just missed all of these stains, his own blood. It's just that was what they postulated. But I guess they're saying that he took her all out. The body was in the back. Actually, I don't know. Did they? I, I'm not under. I really can't figure out the state's case. I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> so uh, where the decoy could have come from. So Cleveland Auto Sale and Salvage happens to be Sheriff Herman's own car dealership salvage yard. Isn't that funny? So remember when we were talking about why everybody hates the Averys? It could be over a property dispute, competing dealerships within the law enforcement community. You know, there's a lot of grudges and weird stuff that can spiral out of control. So a RAV4 was driven onto the Avery property the evening of November 4th per Zellner's motion for post-conviction testing. Avery's neighbor told a freelance reporter in April 2016 that he thinks he may have seen Teresa's RAV4 followed by a white Jeep being driven into the back of Avery Auto Salvage Yard via a road from Redon's Quarry before Pam Sturm found it the morning of November 5th, 2005. So, both the RAV4 at the salvage yard and the RAV4 at the crime lab had a missing blinker light. Huh. But, I don't know. Did they, uh, I mean, that's not that hard to fake i don't know and it's kind of hard to see what the brand of tire is but there's no way they had that wrong right so the rav4 at the salvage yard has uniroyal tires on it can we tell what the tires are at the crime lab uh. also the yeah the tire cover definitely looks different but the bottom left part looks the same but i mean they could have just remounted that back tire I mean that's pretty easy to do. Actually, yeah. I don't know. It looks it looks crazy different though. <laughs> also, the dents are in different spots. That's kind of weird. What which dents? Uh, on the the cover. In the photo taken at Avery Salvage Yard on the morning of November fifth, you can see what looks like a bullet hole or a dent to the left of the rear cargo door area. There appears to be a dent in the rear cargo area of the RAV4 at the crime lab, but it is in a different spot. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yes, oh, to confirm what you said before, Zellner's RAV4 had the royal sapphire cover, not mystic teal or deep jewel green. So Zellner's RAV4 wasn't either of the colors that Teresa's RAV4 purported to be. Okay. Why didn't she just get the same one though? Isn't that weird? Yeah. All right. It was kind of hard to find, maybe. Yeah. Come, isn't she like a millionaire or something? <laughs> She's got like one of the most successful law firms in the country, right? All right. Let's talk Vin. So Remaker test Dave Remaker testified that the Vin on the Rav Ford that Avery Salvagers appears to have been tampered with. Also, a dashboard bolt and screw were missing from the RAV4 at the Madison Crime Lab. Does that mean it wasn't a decoy? 
but it wasn't Teresa's RAV4? Because if they switched the VIN at the Avery salvage yard, or even before they planted it, and that's not Teresa's vehicle, and they and that decoy vehicle is the same vehicle at the crime lab, and we don't ever know what happened to her real vehicle, we wouldn't know, right? Ah, but yo, if you plug in those OBD sensors, it tells you the VIN of the car. What's an OBD sensor? Um... I think it's OBD. It's the thing you plug into your car that mechanics use to see what's wrong with your car. The VIN number comes up. It tells you what the VIN is. Nice. Let's look at the jury trial transcript. Day 2, February 21st, 2007. What was your purpose, uh, Dave, Detective Remaker, to verify anything other than that was Teresa's vehicle on the scene? That's all I felt was necessary at the time, and then I had contacted Lou uh, Investigator Weigert and told him the VIN was confirmed. Okay, make sure you speak up nice and loudly. I'm sorry, so that we can all we can all hear you. Um, other than Manitowoc County authorities being on scene, was there anyone else there that was there or en route? I called Investigator Weigert on our radio on the sheriff's frequency. And I think he was monitoring at the time. In fact, I know he was. And I told him, I think the word I used was confirmed. The VIN was confirmed. Um, he was on the way with Sheriff Pagel. Um, eventually, some other investigators showed up. Um, Earl Avery showed up on a four-wheeler. All right, then he goes into... Okay. I got there roughly 11 a.m. I think they arrived at 11.06, referring to Calumet County authorities. So now he's admitting that he was there before Calumet County. No conflict of interest at all. Okay, six minutes. So he got there at roughly 11 a.m. They got there 11.06. Okay, thereafter, it was Calumet County, to your knowledge, continuously at that scene from that point. Through the 12th of November, yes. In that five or six minutes that Manitowoc County was there alone, would you have been in a position to see if anybody either entered the vehicle or tampered with the vehicle? Nobody entered that vehicle or did anything to that vehicle other than watch it. All right, let me ask you, Detective uh, Remaker. At some point shortly after, were you joined by your district attorney, Mr. Rohrer, and Mr. Griesback? 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 How do you pronounce that? An assistant DA from uh, Manitoba County. Eventually, those individuals came to that location. Yes. Okay, so a lot of conflict of interest issues. But he states, I was able to verify all but the first two numbers on the VIN. So, and he says, that's what it says. Question, so would that be more accurate than your memory today? If you read the next paragraph, I think it explains it. The VIN was confirmed as the VIN number for missing Hallback vehicle. Confirmed how? I read all 17 numbers. So four minutes later, at first you couldn't read it, then you did read it later. <laughs> the VIN plate was moved. And with the sunlight and the windshield, you couldn't see it real well. I got a flashlight from, it was either Orth or Herman, and I used the flashlight to illuminate the numbers. I could get all the VIN numbers then. Is this the VIN number that's found on the dashboard by the driver's side? Correct. You say it was moved? Well, it looked like someone had tampered with it. It was bent and it wasn't in, originally, in original factory condition. 
Okay, so you weren't able to see it without the use of the flashlight. I believe it was the first two numbers I couldn't get. Then when I got the flashlight, I shined it in there and I was able to get all 17 numbers. Okay. Okay, so that's major. So Remaker himself is testifying. Like, why would he say that? It looked like somebody had tampered with it. Like, what's the motivation for him to cast doubt on this? Is he not in on this whole frame-up because it seems like his name keeps coming up? Or was he not in on the frame-up at that moment and they hoodwinked him into it later, which is why they were confusing accounts? Is that what happened? But by the time he's testifying, he would have definitely been in on it by then. So why is he saying it looked like someone tampered with it? There seems to be no benefit. I mean, that's casting doubt on everything, right? Maxwell, what do you got? I got nothing. Maxwell, you're you're not following up. I was able to able to verify all but the first two numbers on the right, go to the second page of the transcript. It says Well it well it looked like somebody had yeah. tampered with it. It was bent and it wasn't in original so, factory condition. I'm asking why is why is Remaker testifying in court that the VIN plate was tampered? How does that benefit why would he even say that? Because that makes it look like it possibly was a different RAV4. That doesn't look good for law enforcement. So if he's in on the conspiracy, why would he say that's, that? That's that's interesting. He's like almost like uh like saying something honestly for once. Yeah. So what I was saying, even as this was transpiring at the time when they found the Rav Four, if he wasn't in on the conspiracy, or if he wasn't in on it on the frame up conspiracy as it, at that moment, and they hoodwinked him into it later. But this is now at the court. Now this is in court. All this time later. He's definitely in on it by then. So, like, what's the benefit for him to say that in court? Yeah, no benefit. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So many questions. And we will continue with our line of inquiry into the RAV4 because there is plenty more, especially shady goings on at the crime lab regarding the RAV4. As always, if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Feel free to share this video across social media platforms like our Facebook page. You can also check, check us out, Twitter, Reddit, Patreon. And any questions, comments, thoughts, theories, just leave them in the comments section. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And Maxwell Powers. We'll catch you guys next time.